Good day, everyone. I'm Brian Lee Crowley, Managing Director at the McDonald Laurier Institute, and you are listening to our regular podcast on public policy issues that matter to Canadians. We call it Pod Bless Canada. My guest today on Pod Bless Canada is distinguished Canadian political historian Patrice Dutil. At a time when the building housing the Prime Minister's office in Ottawa has been stripped of the name of Sir Hector Langevin, when the pub that housed at one time Sir John A. Macdonald's law offices in Kingston has dropped his name from the name of the pub, and when the statue to the founder of Halifax, Lord Cornwallis, has been taken down in Halifax as a result of uh, protests over his uh, role in the uh, history of Nova Scotia, clearly history has never been more on the political agenda. And that's why I've invited Patrice to come and talk to us about memory and its political uses. And for those of you, uh, I'm sure it's a tiny minority, who don't know Patrice, uh, Patrice is an author, commentator, and occasional activist who is a professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Ryerson University in Toronto. He has produced nine books on subjects as varied as Quebec politics in the progressive era, the Canadian elections of 1911 and 1917, uh, secretaries to cabinet, and Sir John A. Macdonald. Uh, Patrice was the founder and first editor of the Literary Review of Canada, which kindly published something of mine many, many years ago, and recently ended his seven-year tenure as president of the Champlain Society. His most recent book is Prime Ministerial Power in Canada, the origin, its origins under Macdonald, Laurier, and Borden. Patrice, welcome to Pod Bless Canada. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Brian. Lovely. Look, uh, Let's get right into it, Patis. It seems to me that the legitimacy of the past as an inspiration for the present and a guide for the future has been seriously shaken, not just in Canada, but Canada is the place where it seems to be at the forefront of, uh, of uh, political debate. Uh, what do you think about this? How has this happened and what does it mean? Well, there's no doubt that the controversies over the last few years uh, have really shaken the, uh, the faith of a lot of people in Canadian history. It, there seems to be a trend in uh, our debates to, as you say, delegitimize Canada, to, to attack its roots, to attack uh, elements of its past, to cherry pick certain events, and in effect condemn the country. And I think this is a, a really uh, a bad turn in our public debates. And unfortunately, it's been aided and abetted by our officials. And I think that there is an opportunity here for people to respond uh, and, and to rally and to uh, spearhead a new movement to rediscover Canadian history and, and to not, not, to, not to, to whitewash it, uh, but simply to bring out its complexity and to, to demonstrate that history, whether it's in Canada or elsewhere, is a lot more complicated than a few... Uh, slogans would, would allow us to, to, to think it is. Mm. Well, as, as I said in the introduction, you know, you and I decided that we talk about memory and its political uses. Yes. So before we get into, you know, who's responsible and uh, what should we do to fix it, let's, let's spend a minute talking about the political uses of memory. Uh, it seems to me that uh, um, uh, Part of what's going on, uh, again, to use this phrase, the, uh, this delegitimization of the past, 
is driven perhaps in part, I, I'm sure there's, uh, there's many reasons for it, but it seems to me it's driven in part by a desire on the, uh, on the part of some people uh, to uh, sort of fence off the past as a place for us to look for understanding of the present uh, on the basis that the past is full of vicious policies and racist politicians. And uh, uh, generally, it's a repository of all that's shameful. And therefore, you know, things that we've done in the past should never be brought forward as examples to guide us to where we should go in the future. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that's part of what's Underway here? Absolutely. There's a political agenda. There's no doubt that there's a political agenda at play. Let's unpack Johnny McDonald for a second. Uh, you know, Johnny McDonald has been, by and large, ignored for a long time. Uh, you know, Donald Creighton wrote uh, his his massive biography in the early 1950s, and and after that, the the, the whole topic went to a deep hibernation. The, there was a, a renewed interest with Richard Gwynn's biography in the uh, about ten years ago, twelve years ago, uh, and and since then there's been this this notion floating about that Johnny Macdonald was uh, a mediocre leader of Canada, that he had he was responsible for the genocide of um, the prairie. Uh, the, the indigenous people who lived in the prairies, and that uh, he was also uh, responsible for residential schools and the outcomes of the residential schools. He's being blamed for everything because he is the he was prime minister for twenty years. The notion is that the whole project of Canada, as a result, is flawed, uh, marked by some original sin, and that uh, as a result, today's Canada cannot be of any value. And this is where. You know, people like me take issue. There's, there's a complexity to John A. Macdonald that has to be appreciated. There's a complexity to his time that has to be appreciated. And there's uh, uh, so many things to John A. Macdonald's uh, government and, and approaches to policy and to politics that are vital to the success of Canada. And as a result, must be appreciated. So when we have things like the prime minister changing the name of uh, sir, uh, of, the, of the building in which uh, his office uh, sits, the, the Hector Langevin building, for example. Uh, I mean, you really, have to, you really have to step back and ask, you know, what is the purpose of this? Is it really a question of historical recognition to say that Hector Langevin was a bad man whose name does not deserve to grace a federal building? Or is there something more at stake here? Now, we know that uh, his own advisors from the public service advised him against changing the name of Sir Hector Langevin to, uh, the, what is it now, the, the simple building, the Privy Council building? Uh, they, they've, they've taken a... a yes, a, I, yeah. And, and, uh, Go ahead. And, but there's no appreciation of who Hector Langevin was. Hector Langevin was a very important minister in uh, McDonald's government. He was a minister of public works at a time when public works was, was, was vitally important to the future of our country. He was also a man who was disgraced uh, and, 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 and disgraced terribly. He was not responsible for the things that he was accused of. And it's that, that's, that was the reason why uh, this man who was broken by the politics of the 1890s was given, uh, was, was, his name was placed on a building. It was a, an atonement for a wrong. Uh, 
And yet, you know, and of course, uh, Sir Hector was a conservative. You can imagine that if it had been a liberal, I strongly doubt that the uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, would have changed the name. So there's a combination here of using of using uh, a convenient scapegoat to try to make amends on, an, on a subject that had nothing to do with Sir Hector Langevin. Langevin spoke a couple of times about residential schools. There's absolutely no evidence that he had dark uh, motives in terms of residential schools. Uh, there is no doubt that Hector Langevin held the views that were common among the people of Canada at that time, but it is not a reason to condemn him. We have to learn from these events. We have to learn from um, the, the the monuments that have been erected uh, in the past and, and really recognize with some modesty that there must have been a reason why those gestures uh, were, were in fact uh, pursued. The the John A. Macdonald is you know was condemned last uh, in the fall of 2017 by the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Uh, they passed a resolution at their annual congress that uh, categorized and condemned Macdonald for being the author of a genocide. There is no evidence of a genocide, and yet we have an important professional group in the government of Ontario that that condemned, you know, and the school teachers, no less, that, that condemned the fact that there are schools in Ontario, only a few, but they're, they're there, that bore the name of John A. Macdonald. Simply saying that the name Macdonald was an affront to Ontarians uh, and constituted some sort of violence towards people who uh, might be offended by his name. There's no evidence. As I say, there's no evidence and there's that, that whole... That whole attitude was simply wrong-minded. Nobody ever paid attention to the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, but they sure got some ink on the back of Sir John A. last fall. Now, I'm glad to note that the the, the politicians rallied. Politicians on all sides uh, rallied and condemned the ETFO, the English Teachers Federation of Ontario, uh, elementary school teachers, I should say, uh, for their for their wrong-minded resolution. But it stayed, and you know, it creates the kind of pressure that forces uh, a business owner in Kingston to change the name of his pub, as you say, um, from one gracing the name of Sir John A. It was in his office uh, and simply feeling that uh, there's so much pressure uh, that he can't, he really can't jeopardize his business and he had to remove the name. It's a sad commentary on a man who created our country, not alone, but with had a huge influence um, 150 years ago, that this happens on the 150th anniversary of Canada is something that uh, should not be um, should not be forgotten. It's a, it's a sad it's a sad footnote to what otherwise uh, was. I mean, let's talk about it. We we had a hundred fiftieth anniversary last year of Confederation. There's no mention of history. There was no mention of our history. We have a prime minister who's embarrassed by our history, uh, who who will say nice words now and then, but you always have the feeling that there's a yes but that's in, in the back of his mind. No appreciation of history, um, and and it's a sad thing. When you reflect on 150 years, you should at least make an effort to bring out what has been good in our society, uh, what we have accomplished together, acknowledging that there have been errors, terrible errors, terrible errors um, against the Indigenous people of this country. But the whole point is, let, let's move forward and let's learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I, uh, during the um, Canada 150 celebrations, I spent a lot of time uh, traveling across the country, speaking to various groups about Canadian history. And uh, one of the things that particularly struck me was the extent to which whenever I talked to uh, an audience, which had a large proportion of uh, 
new Canadians, people who were not born in Canada, but, but chose Canada as a country, uh, they were completely perplexed by this idea that Canada had something to be ashamed about. And these were people who said, no, 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 I chose Canada because I think it's the best country in the world. And I had options. I could have gone to other places, but I chose Canada. And um, uh, they, were, they were actually delighted to hear somebody who said, there's much to be proud of in, uh, in Canada's past. As you say, many things that uh, we would have done differently if we knew then what we know now. But um, uh, who among us has not made mistakes? Exactly. And this is a, something that, I mean, it's something that, it's a bit of a turn in our, in our debates that it, it's worth putting it in, in a little bit of retrospective. You know, it goes back to the, to the 1980s. And there were a lot of debates, you know, the, we call them now the history wars of the, of the early 1990s. And it's worth reflecting on because there was a, there was a, that was the beginning of a trend. You'll remember uh, there was a, a TV series called The Valor and the Horror that was, that was broadcast by the CBC. And, and I'll come back to the CBC at some point uh, because I think it's worth talking about the role of the CBC uh, in terms of history. But this was a, a, a series broadcast in 1992 uh, called The Valor and the Horror. And, and one of the, uh, a couple of the messages that were, that were um, presented by this series was A, that Canada had committed war crimes, that Canada was, that Canada in bombing indiscriminately uh, Nazi Germany had committed war crimes. There was an outrage at that time. And uh, the, the, that outrage, I think, left, created a great deal of, of, um, of reaction in the sense that uh, other series were, 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 were produced to rectify the, the, the record, to, to correct the record, to uh, diffuse that wrong-minded perception of the Canadian war effort. There was a renewed vigor in, um, in uh, modernizing the Canadian War Museum. But the, the fact that the CBC uh, could commission a, a, a series of documentaries on the Canadian war effort and come out of it with the conclusion that Canada was a war crime or a war criminal was simply outrageous. At the very same time, there's a Mordecai Richler uh, published his book, O Canada, O Quebec, Requiem for a Divided Country. Again, uh, a deliberate falsification of history to condemn Quebec in the early 1990s in wishing to uh, revise its constitutional status. Now, you can take issue with the policy, the consistent demands of Quebec. You can take issue, but you can take issue on, on the merits of the argument, dismiss the arguments, argue against the arguments. But to bring out the history and to simply point to the past and say, you know, there's a, there's, there's a past here that, that, that must be condemned, and therefore the attitude of modern Quebec has to be condemned at the same time. This is what, you know, we call this a weaponization of history. It caused a, you know, a great tumult, uh, and, and, you know, a vigorous exchange of letters and a vigorous exchange of views, but both in the sense of Mordecai Richler and in the sense of uh, the valor and the horror, it was, it was a cheap shot. These were cheap shots using history selectively uh, to, to make a point. But in both cases, to, to diminish the, the reputation of the country 
or the reputation of a people. I welcome these things only but if, if they have to be debated. And at the same time, what, what worries me is that these things land in uh, a cultural environment that has been impoverished of history. We don't teach history in our classes. We don't talk about history in our popular culture. And this allows for all sorts of distortion. So Prime Minister Trudeau can say things about Hector Langevin. Nobody knows the difference, so he gets away with it. Well, so let's let's dig into that a bit because the, the, you've got a whole series of threads in that knot. So let's pick it apart a little bit. Uh, and I, I noticed not too long ago that the Prime Minister rose in the House and announced that... Um, uh, they were changing uh, a decision that had been made by the previous government to name a new series of warships that are going to be coming uh, off the production line. Uh, they, were, they were going to be named after various battles in the War of 1812. And the announcement was made that that, that decision was being cancelled. And the argument was Canadians don't care about the War of 1812. Um, I, I, I think I'm right in saying that, um, you know, the previous government was one that was fairly sympathetic to Canadian history as a source of uh, knowledge and insight into uh, Canada. Uh, but I, I, I think I'm right in saying that uh, your view is that they sort of fumbled the, uh, the, um, the bicentennial of uh, the War of 1812 and didn't do a good job. And that's, a, that's an example of, yeah. of public authorities not getting it right. I, I, I am. I, I am of that view. I mean, having, having uh, criticized the current prime minister, let me turn to the former prime minister. You know, the War of 1812 is a significant event in our history. I mean, historians of all stripes will agree to that. And the Harper government had an opportunity to underline a very important event. The War of 1812, 200th anniversary, more importantly, the Peace of Ghent of, 20, of 1814, that that essentially set Canada on a, a path of peace with its neighbor, a, a neighbor that will go through crisis after crisis, that will often take a hard look at its northern border and say, why aren't we part of that northern border? Uh, Canada has persisted over 200 years in maintaining a distinct identity. Let's get back to the War of 1812, a critical event, a critical event in so many ways, in terms of the defense of Canada, in terms of the involvement of Britain, in terms of the alliance between Canadians and uh, the indigenous people of this country, in terms of the alliance between French and English uh, Canada in defending its borders and defending its territories. What did the Harper government do? Apparently an investment of $26 million. I don't really see where that money went, but I recognize that things are very expensive in Ottawa. We got a few stamps. We didn't get a serious documentary on the War of 1812. I did see one, but it was produced <laughs> in the United States. And we got, uh, we got a, a few celebratory things, but really I, I have not seen an accounting of of where that money went. Now, in Toronto, we, of course, have Fort York, an important uh, tourist site, uh, and funding was provided, and I'm not sure if it's part of that $28 million, but funding was provided for a brand new visitor's center. And that's a wonderful thing, except that the visitor's center opened two years after the War of 1812 <laughs> celebration. That's what I'm saying, I, that's what I'm saying about, about fumbling, about, about uh, you know, the, the heart might be in the right place, 
in terms of the Harper government, but it just was not enough. And again, I'll recognize that maybe out west, in Western Canada, this is not an important event, but it doesn't matter. It was a very important in the evolution of our country, and there was a great opportunity here for um, Canadians to to recognize the importance of the War of 1812. Are we do, are we more knowledgeable today about Sir Isaac Brock? Are we more knowledgeable about Tecumseh, the great chief? who defended Canada, who died on the battlefield. We know nothing. De Salaberry, we know nothing about these people as a result of whatever money was spent uh, in Ottawa on this. So there's a real, you know, it's, it's an example of, of where policy simply went wrong. And I won't talk about, well, maybe I will talk about it. You know, the Harper government also cut back dramatically on the archives, Library and Archives Canada. When we should be investing massively in Library and Archives Canada, the government, the Harper government cut back. So uh, I'll, I'll condemn the Liberals. I'll also condemn the Conservatives. Um, the, but they, they point to a, a, a failure in our culture, Brian. They, they, this is where we fail as a country, as a society. The intellectuals have not rallied sufficiently in defending Canadian history, and we need to do that. So uh, that's a very interesting uh, place to, uh, to now raise the question of... Uh, you know, how did the culture get off track? Because uh, it's it's a bit of a <clears throat> commonplace uh, now to say that politics is downstream from culture, meaning that politics, politics doesn't really shape culture, but culture sure shapes politics. And uh, uh, if what's happening is we are entering an era of collective historical amnesia, um, uh, who's... Uh, who's responsible for combating that? I mean, is is the problem that uh, uh, provincial politicians are not ensuring there's enough uh, Canadian history in the curriculum? I mean, that seems a kind of lame answer to a very serious civilizational issue. Well, it's it, I, I'd say I, I certainly blame. I'll start by blaming the ministries of education. There are four provinces in Canada now that uh, require. Uh, that high school students, our teenagers, take a Canadian history course. They are Quebec, Ontario, Nova Scotia, and Manitoba. The other six provinces do not require a Canadian history course. They do offer them, but they are uh, optional. You go to the elementary schools, Canadian history Canadian history is 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 hardly raised. It's buried in social studies. So you'll learn a little bit of geography and you'll learn a little bit about history and you'll learn a little bit about sociology, that kind of stuff. With the exception of Quebec, history does not uh, feature prominently. And of course, in Quebec, there's a different kind of history and you can explain, you can explain, expect that and explain it. Um, it's going to be a, a, a history much more focused on Quebec than on the Canadian project. This is a real problem. And I'm told by experts that the, the various uh, departments, uh, departments of education across the country are seized of the problem and are trying to improve it. I'm simply saying that it's been 40 years now where Canadian history has been diminished. We are, as a result of this, we have basically dried up the market. Uh, there's, if you don't know anything about your history, why would you pick up a history book? Why would you uh, consider... Uh, an article on uh, on history. Why would you even think about history? At the same time, you know the Americans, the Americans flood us with their with their history. So ministries of education are are, are the number one uh, culprits for me. But the, secondly, um, I would blame the CBC. The CBC has done nothing for Canadian history, 
and it's 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 really uh, for for it's really uh, for me a, a very guilty uh, a, a very guilty verdict on the CBC when you consider what PBS does in the United States, and we get the PBS signal across the country, when you consider how much history is produced and broadcast by the public broadcasting system in the United States, the CBC pales. When you consider what the BBC does, and again, we get a lot of BBC uh, material, um, uh, much of it provided by PBS, but some of it provided um, by by local educational channels like TV Ontario and Ontario, um, you look at what the BBC produces. You look at what the French networks uh, produce, uh, TF uh, France 2, France 3. Uh, you look at what the Germans produce. What we produce in Canada is nothing. We've had one series, The People's History, that was produced in the late, in the late um, uh, 20th century, 1997, 1998, I think, um, that, that was uh, adequate. Uh, there was a history series produced last spring, Spring of 2017, it was laughable. It was practically laughed off the air. There's nothing of the CBC. When do you ever see a, a, um, a, an interview with a historian or somebody who's who's historically alert? You just simply do not see it on the CBC. And I say this, and I emphasize, this is the same thing with Radio-Canada. You just don't see it. Uh, I was looking at a book. I was reading a book uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, on, on the BBC. It's called A History on British Television, written by a fellow called Robert Dillon, D-I-L-L-O-N. The, the, the book published in 2010. The appendix, Brian, is eight pages long, documenting year after year of history television on the BBC. It's utterly remarkable. A comparable list in Canada would have three or four series, three or four shows. That's it. And that's just not adequate. It's an embarrassment. It's no wonder that in Canada... We have to have uh, you know, the, these these um, these minutes, the, the these minutes that are now produced by uh, Historica, the Heritage Minutes. If it wasn't for the Heritage Minutes, we would know nothing of our history. When I talk to my students in class, if I don't, if I can't tie an event to a to a Heritage Minute, they're just lost. Luckily, we have the Heritage Minutes because that'll at least give them an idea of a, of a particular event. If we didn't have them, we'd, have, we'd be in an even worse situation. I'll simply say that you know Canada is the only OECD country that has Heritage Minutes. Everybody else looks after their history. So there's a lot of people that need to be uh, held accountable for the fact that we don't know our history. I put, I put uh, the Ministries of Education at the top of my list. I put the public broadcasters right up there in second place. And then, you know, the, the rest of the media, newspapers of long abandoned uh, historical coverage, you know, every now and then there's a fantastic exception. Um, but it, 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 basically what I'm saying is that it, 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 it um, atrophies, it, it diminishes the appetite for history so that Canadian governments can get away with doing nothing uh, in terms of, of remembrance. When, when, I, when, I, when we think about, think about the 100th anniversary of the declaration of the First World War. I mean, what happened? What happened? Was there anything done in this country? I, now, I wasn't in Ottawa, uh, and maybe you can tell me if there was anything that happened in Ottawa. I'll tell you what happened in Toronto. Um, suddenly, a bunch of people realized that nothing was going to happen in Toronto to, to remember the declaration of war of 1914. And uh, a hearty group of people 
uh, various representatives of regiments that are that are located in the Toronto area, the GTA, got together and they organized a splendid evening at the University of Toronto, Varsity Stadium, and it was packed. I was there. I was there with my daughter. It was packed. Um, entirely a volunteer effort. No support from government whatsoever. Uh, no presence of government whatsoever. This is a war that cost 60,000 lives in our country. It's not a small thing. And this is the best we can do? It's embarrassing. Well, in fact, um, I go every year, you know, on um, November 11th to the Cenotaph in my little community. And even though the number of veterans, uh, it seems to me, uh, from from the Second World War in particular is dwindling. I mean, we've, we, we lost all our First World War veterans yes. many years ago. But, uh, you know, the number of Second World War vets is dwindling every year, and yet the crowds grow every year. And that's so it seems... It seems to me that there is a hunger for knowledge and not only knowledge, but for acknowledgement of what people already know about Canadian history and they feel as being obscured or forgotten for reasons that they don't really understand. Well, that's really encouraging. And I, I mean, I attend, I attend these events also on, on November, on November 11th every year. Uh, and I'm always encouraged and I, I, we do it on campus and I, we see young people, uh, and it's always uh, heartening to see that. But in terms of remembering other things, like as I say, the, the First World War, the War of 1812, governments have been absent. Uh, and that's just, uh, for me, it, it just goes against what people want. As you say, I think there, and I agree with you, I think there is still somewhere an interest among people to discover more about their history. It's just not being served. And government has to play a role in this. Well, so, um, you know, at, at MLI, we're always uh, interested in finding ways that civil society can contribute. You know, we tend not to think, uh, oh, it's adequate to say, well, government should do something different and that will solve all our problems. We like to think that everybody has some responsibility. And I, I worry that uh, people listening to this conversation will think, uh, that uh, civil society has completely abandoned the uh, cause of Canadian history. But I don't think that's right, is it? No, no. And, and yeah, I, I, and I want to be clear about this. When I'm calling for government, I'm saying government has, to ro- has a role to play. Uh, government in terms of policy, in terms of, of, the, um, of, of the historical curriculum has a role to play. If there's a bit of seed money to encourage organizations to, uh, to, to celebrate events, uh, supply, uh, more more uh, uh, subventions for uh, local museums. Uh, again, you can make it conditional funding. You you challenge the community. You challenge civil society to to create activities that will raise awareness. I think government has a role to play. I'm not saying government should pay for the whole shot. I'm simply saying that government has a role to play. Uh, and and I think that you know given given the current circumstance where. We're, we're, we're now in a huge deficit, a huge debt in terms of historical memory. I think it's a matter of public policy that you know something more needs to be done. I think it's worth it's a debate worth having. To what degree should the state be involved in memory? I don't want the state to dictate what memory should be, but I think that the state should be helping to fund efforts that will allow Canadians to reconnect with their roots and reconnect with the historical characters that have shaped our past. Um, I think this only can enrich our culture. But then, of course, not do it alone. Not do it alone. Yeah, so let's tip our hat, though, to 
people like Historica, the Absolutely. historical thinking project, Champlain Society, dare I say it, the McDonald Lurie Institute, which hosted you amongst other things for uh, uh, a book launch on your uh, yeah. your book on the election of 1911. I mean, and you did wonderful. Uh, to, <clears throat> right, it's worth it. All of us are. Wonderful, Go ahead. wonderful dinners uh, in honor of John A. MacDonald, the bicentennial in, in honor of Wilfrid Laurier, uh, the historical debates that you've organized over the years. I mean, it certainly puts the McDonald Laurier Institute uh, at the front of the uh, uh, front of the file. Um, it's, it, it, you're the only ones doing it. I mean, the, the very fact of your name uh, is historical, uh, but you're, you're very few and far, you, you are among the few, uh, and you occupy a special niche there. There are people, of course, there are people across the country who are keen about this. Look at the efforts around uh, genealogy. The Canadians love their, their, their past. They love their family past. Uh, and I'm sure that there's an appetite, uh, there's an appetite out there for more historical knowledge. Um, it's an opportunity and I think that, you know, if we can organize more debates, more awareness uh, of our past, uh, we'll be a better society for it. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to say that that's all the time we have. So uh, on your behalf, please let me thank Patrice Tzil of Ryerson University for sharing with us his insights into the uses and abuses of memory and politics. And let me thank you for listening to this episode of Pod Bless Canada. I'm Brian Lee Crowley, Managing Director of the McDonald Laurie Institute. This is Pod Bless Canada, the podcast series of MLI in Ottawa.